Today's episode is brought to you by Mazars. Sound Cartel. Incredibly, cyber and email scams have become so prolific that we now expect them. While some scams are more sophisticated than others, many vulnerable businesses are taken in by the threat or the request. So how can you protect yourself and your business from these data pirates? From Sound Cartel, this is Business Essentials Daily. I'm Peter Letts, filling in for Nicole Goodman. There's no doubt that technology has made our lives a lot easier and more efficient. But the internet has also unlocked a gate for cybercriminals to enter, and business is one of their biggest targets. Technology expert and futurist Steve Sammartino says different scams are being invented all the time, and it's important to have a strategy to deal with them. First, Steve highlights the growing number of BEC, or Business Email Compromise Scams, aimed at small business. He tells Chris Ashmore what he knows. Emails get seconded by the back end where they can send emails pretending to be the person, pretending to be Steve Sammartino at stevesammartino.com and send that email. And it looks authentic and it looks real. And it's, in many ways, it's like being impersonated, right? You're being impersonated. An email is something that is super protected and it's easy to fool people pretending to be someone else via an email because you see the address, you say that's from Corporation XYZ, that must be them, they've asked for this. I do business with them all the time, they're in my email address. Oh, okay, they wouldn't be asking for that if they didn't need it. And so it's a really easy way to trick people to give you information or change information in your chain that you otherwise wouldn't do. So one of the tricks that has been happening with this scam is they say, hey, look, we've changed our banking details. The old details used to be this. And they'll put some chicanery in there and information that sounds real because we've moved to this global organisation or we're aligning this to our global partners and this is the new banking address. Send all your invoices to this from now on, and people fall for it. Or they might say, look, this invoice needs to be paid immediately. Something's happened. It's really important. If you don't pay it, then supply will dry up for the next 24 hours. It's for this order. Otherwise, that truck can't get there. Or we And so people go, gee, I better pay that straight away. And they pay it to a, a different invoice or a, a different bank address. And that's what happens. So it's basically people's emails being seconded and then being used to request information that is false, usually to make payments to bank accounts or change bank accounts. That's the two methods that they use most often. And it's increasing and we've got to protect ourselves from it. How do we do that? Yeah, so the first thing is we need to make sure we have at least two-factor authentication of things or multi-factor authentication. So the way that we define that is two-factor or multi-factor authentication is never ever take one digital course of action as something to change a procedure. Whenever anyone logs into something or changes a bank account or directs someone to do something that hasn't been done before, we need to make sure that our staff and our suppliers are trained to always ask for two or more ways to verify this. So an email isn't enough. It's going to need a phone call or a text to another phone number. So what you want to do is make sure if one door becomes unlocked, you need to make sure that the person can't just go through one door to get the information. They need to go through and I'm using a physical example here so we can get it in our mind, they've got to go through two, three, four, five doors because it's almost like 
the Swiss cheese theory. And we've heard that with airplanes. They say that they have multiple areas of redundancy in an airplane. So if one thing fails, it's like flying through Swiss cheese. You've got to have, you've got to get through another hole and another hole and another hole. And they all need to be lined up before you can get fraud attacks. So it's like having a number of doors that people need to go through. So if an email is one, then you've got to go to phone. Then you've got to go to speaking to someone. Then you've got to go to a special code to be sent to a text message or another person in the organization who can verify it. So it's really just about In the physical world, it would be how many signatures do you get? In the digital world, it's how many digital doors do we need to go through before we authorise any form of financial change or financial payment? And that's a matter of diligence, both internally in your organisation and for your suppliers, not to just let one thing be enough to change a behaviour or make a payment that you normally wouldn't make. Mm -hmm. Well, this is just one of the many scams that we really need to be aware of. What are some of the other ones? And I suppose I'm thinking of phishing attacks that are quite prevalent now, aren't they? Yeah, so phishing attacks. And and phishing, to explain to the listeners, it's, it's a way of pretending to be someone else. And the most prevalent method of that is to have branding or visuals which look like the real thing. And emails going to someone requesting information that is sensitive so that people can get into your banking or to your systems. And the way that they do it is they have addresses on emails or addresses on websites that look real. And it's easy to get tricked. And and you know what you can actually do as well? It's In the olden days, you would have some sort of a name, .anz, .something. So it's really not .anz because it's got something before the .anz, which you can do, and then you can brand it up and make it look like ANZ Bank or NAB Bank or something. Well, these days they have the visuals, which it actually hides the true address, and and it looks like ANZ.com, slash something, something you think is the real address, and it's not. I think what we need to do with these, because the ability to make things visually look fake is becoming so strong now, Now we just need to have a set of rules of information we would never share online because increasingly the digital tools get more advanced where the email looks real, the website looks real. Very soon you'll have videos of people put inside something, deep fakes they're called, where you have a picture of the CEO of the bank, of Bank XYZ, a real picture of that person saying, we're asking you for this information. I'm the CEO of Bank XYZ, and the information you need here is to secure your account, so make sure you share it with And it'll be a video with that person's voice and that person's face that you will not be able to tell the difference with. We already have that with politicians and various things. And there's a black market for that already. A few hundred dollars, you can get a video made just by providing 20 photos of someone and two minutes worth of voice where the artificial intelligence can put that together and make something fake. So... Increasingly, the only thing that we can trust is when we're face-to-face with someone where we can see the sweat on their brow. (laughs) And when I say the sweat on their brow, I mean it, right? Because if it's a robot, it won't sweat. (laughs) Not yet anyway, right? And so what we need to avoid things like phishing attacks is have a set of rules of things that we never, ever share online, that we never, ever would request. And the banks are getting good at this, saying we would never, ever ask for passwords, account details, Swift codes, any of these things. And we need to have that in our offices, for all of our accounts payable and accounts receivable teams, rules of things that we will never, ever share, no matter who asks and no matter how real it looks. You say that personal data that companies have gathered from their customers will become a liability. Yeah, right now, I mean, people talk about data as an asset. What data will you have? Will we get the data on this? And and data has become an asset that has created some of the largest corporations the world has ever seen. If we think about Facebook, Google... Twitter, Amazon, they're, they're all database businesses. 
And so what they've done is accumulate data, which becomes a valued asset, which can then be sold, bundled up as advertising and so on. And so right now it's an asset, but I think it's going to flip. I think it's going to flip to where data becomes a liability because data is a form of labor and data is an asset. But what's happening right now is we're handing over that asset to large corporations. And as hacking becomes more prevalent and people learn how data is being used against them and also used for massive commercial gain, we're going to see a bit of a pushback from society where I think that data will become a liability where it's owned by the person who created it, cryptographically protected, and then we will lease out our data to large corporations instead of them taking it from us and then selling it to others on our behalf. So I think we're going to be, I call it the great data flip. It's going to go the other way where it goes from being an asset to a liability. And we've seen that type of stuff happen before in industries uh, for a long time, you know, selling fat and sugar in consumer goods industries was, it's a way to get people to consume more. They become addicted to the product. They, they like it, they eat more. And then I think data is going to become like a little bit of a fat free movement. You know, it's going to be data free, algorithm free, and, or we're going to be warned of what's in the data. And if we're giving it away, not just terms and conditions, in 23,000 words that no one reads, (laughs) it's going to become something where I think if you're building a business around accumulating data on your customers, I think it's fraught with danger. And I think in the next three to five years, things are going to reverse out. There'll be, I think, legal standings on this and people will demand that you can't have that data because it's been acquired through obfuscation. Increasingly, there are a lot of apps or platforms that when you join or when you open an account with them, they ask if you'd like to join with a different social media account that you've got. What's your advice? Do you sign up with that? Now, my advice is to never sign up to any service where you use your social media account. The reason is that all of that information then gets hoovered up by the social media giant and they can use that data because you've signed up to those terms and conditions that no one read, that they can then follow you, not just when you're in that app, but all around so all of your web behaviours. And it also creates a security hole because we so often forget that the social media password we put in there is not maybe not as strong as it could be. Social media uh, organisations are more of a target for hacking than small apps would be. And so it's, it's kind of a lazy behaviour. And the reason that organisations do it, say sign up with your social media account, is because it reduces the friction to get customers and users on board to their app or or so on. And they do it for their own reasons. But I think as an end user, we need to be diligent enough to have our own email accounts to sign up and have, have as many email accounts as you can to sign up with things that at least if you get hacked, you get hacked in a singular way. If you use a social media account, then all of a sudden one hack, one it's like having a master key that will open up every door. And so that's a bad security habit. And so some of the really good security advice is think of the digital world as the same as the physical world. If the things that you would do in the physical world to increase your safety and behavior, if you really wanted to be secure, that's the type of behavior you need in the digital world. But so often we don't. We go with the singular things. We go, I've got all these passwords in my head and all of that stuff. So, you know, a simple thing like a password manager where you can have cryptographic passwords could be, you know, a good habit to have as well. Well, last question. Are there any other security issues or scams that businesses need to be aware of? You know, I want to go on a, on a tangent here to answer that question. There's going to be a new scam today and there's going to be one tomorrow and there's going to be one next week. The number one thing that I think companies underinvest in right now is teaching all of the people in their organization who have access 
from anything to a swipe card to a computer system need to have ongoing security training. You know, it needs to be at least quarterly. Simple rules and things that you don't do, information that you don't put across because the number one reason we get scammed is because we don't know which things we shouldn't hand over. And that's a training thing. The number one thing is training people. And it doesn't cost a lot. You know, it might be just what are some security habits, sitting down with the team and watching a video on YouTube with some, you know, 10 security things that you should never do when you log into your computer. So the number one thing isn't which scam to watch for. It's which digital hygienes we should have, like a hygiene of things that we don't do anytime ever and training your staff at least quarterly. And it doesn't have to be a big all-day session. It might just be one hour showing them the things that increase their security and reduce the risk. So if we have that training in our organisation and with our suppliers, sending them information of things that we will never do, so if someone does it, don't apply to it, that is the best way to do it because that makes you future-proof on all of the potential scams that arrive because they tend to use different tools on a scam, but they're asking the same types of questions. So if your staff are well-versed on which things never to do, it doesn't matter what the colour or the shape of the scam is, they know what not to do and that's That's how they can become more secure. That was Steve Sammartino, futurist and tech expert. This episode of Business Essentials Daily is produced by the team at Sound Cartel. Thanks for listening. I'm Peter Letts. We'll bring you more B-Daily tomorrow. Follow at B-Daily Podcast across social media and head to bdaily.com.au for more from the Business Essentials Daily Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Mazars. To find out more, visit mazars.com.au. That's M-A-Z-A-R-S dot com dot A-U.